Hello, ladies and germs. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to the brand new Tribe of Mentors podcast. For those who have no background on me, I'm an author, early stage investor in 50 plus companies like Facebook, Twitter, Uber, Alibaba, and many others, and the host of The Tim Ferriss Show, which is a long form podcast with more than 200 million downloads. Tribe of Mentors, this new gig, is an experimental podcast similar in flavor to The Tim Ferriss Show, but much shorter much more distilled. This is season one planned for 10 to 15 episodes. And instead of my usual two to four hour interviews, Tribe of Mentors packs a punch or so it's intended in say 10 to 30 minutes on average and delivers tools, habits, and lessons learned from world-class performers in every field you can imagine. So you can think of this as a caffeine jolt of not just inspiration, but also tactical advice that you can use. The Tribe of Mentors podcast is largely adapted from my new book of the same name, Tribe of Mentors, subtitled Short Life Advice from the Best in the World, which details the routines, habits, tools of more than 130 people who are the best at what they do, including elite athletes like Kelly Slater and Dara Torres, legendary coaches like Dan Gable, at least a dozen billionaires and iconic investors, co-founders of companies like Facebook, Twitter, Dropbox, Craigslist, and others, poker and cryptocurrency, phenoms, and many geniuses you've never, ever heard of. In some cases, those are my favorites. And you can learn all about Tribe of Mentors at tribeofmentors.com. That's the book. Or find it wherever books are sold. But let's get into the audio interview. Our guest today is Neil Strauss. You can find him on Twitter at Neil Strauss, Instagram at Neil underscore Strauss, and at neilstrauss.com. He is an eight-time New York Times bestselling author. He is a glutton for punishment, (laughs) likes to write a lot of books. His books, The Game and Rules of the Game, for which he went undercover in a secret society of pickup artists, made him an international celebrity and an accidental hero to men around the world. And his follow-up book, The Truth, subtitle, an uncomfortable book about relationships, Strauss dives deep into the worlds of sex addiction, non-monogamy, infidelity, and intimacy, and explores the hidden forces that cause people to choose each other, stay together, and break up. He most recently co-authored with Kevin Hart, the instant number one New York Times bestseller, I Can't Make This Up, Life Lessons. What is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Or what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? So the book I've given away most is actually an audiobook, which is perfect if you're listening because clearly you like audio. So you can step away from the podcast and get the audiobook of Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. It's very poorly named. And when you suggest nonviolent communication to someone, they think like you think they're like a felon or a violent person. It's basically the equivalent of calling cuddling non-murderous touching. <laughs> and and uh, so despite the sort of bad branding on that, his central idea is that unbeknownst to us, there's a lot of violence in the way we, we communicate with others and with ourselves. And that violence comes in the form of blaming others, judging, criticizing, insulting, demanding, comparing, making things right and wrong, dealing with punishment, reward, labeling and diagnosing, like you know what's wrong with someone, you're going to explain what's wrong with them. And so his basic, the basic central tenets, and this probably applies to almost everyone we know in our lives, uh, is that if you talk to someone this way, even if you're quote unquote right, the conversations would go badly because that person is going to get uh, you know, defensive or feel like you think you're better than them 
uh, or sometimes we do it because we, th- we think they think they're better than us. Uh, so the point being is he calls these jackals. So if you can get rid of the jackals from your communication, you actually get to have a relationship with someone. The amazing thing about nonviolent communication or NVC is it's A, very hard, uh, but B, hard to master. Easy to do, easy to understand, hard to master. But the amazing thing about it is you'll find your life, your relationships, whether at work, with yourself, uh, with your partners, with friends, start to go much better. Uh, I have some amazing things that were where somebody was coming at with a lot of energy and, and anger and literally using his techniques, which is breaking down communication to factual observations, feelings, needs, and then a request, has literally diffused it. And I know this is not a whole podcast about nonviolent communication, but I'll just give you two of my favorite thoughts on it. One is that no two needs are ever in conflict. No two needs are ever in conflict. I think about that as a writer, if I maybe I'm talking to my publisher, and they have a title that I hate, and they hate my title. And I think they're, or they hate my cover, or they don't like something in the book. And you might want to argue with somebody, think that they're going to ruin your thing, think they're, they're an idiot. But if you step back, you realize we both have a need for impact, for success, or more specifically, the need to have a successful book. They're actually on my team. We both want a successful book. It's our strategies that are different. Same with politically. Everybody has, want, people want safety. Uh, they want uh, prosperity and security and um, uh, trust and so many other things. Just the strategies are different, right? And we'll go to war over those strategies. So I think this is not just going to, can not just change your relationships, but it can change the world. So you can read more about it there. Uh, a couple other books that I've given away a lot or have affected my life. One is called, and this actually isn't in Tribe of Mentors because it was hard to explain there, but I can, I can explain it here. It's called Silently Seduced. And there are a lot of people, uh, and it, it, there's a lot of people, and this re- leads to a relationship issue. There's a word called enmeshment. Enmeshment is the opposite of abandonment. Uh, so if you're raised by a parent who is not present, whether it's not physically present, not emotionally present, or neglecting your needs, that's neglect or abandonment. The opposite is a parent who, instead of ignoring your needs, well, they still do that, but they expect you to meet their needs. Their needs emotionally, maybe you become a surrogate, like an emotional husband or wife to a parent. Maybe you, uh, they're just depressed and you're trying to cheer them up. Maybe they're just so full of anxiety uh, that, that, that you, having control over you helps alleviate their anxiety. Uh, or you just find yourself wanting to fix them, take care of them, feeling sorry for them. That's called enmeshment, and it leads to relationship, leads to avoidant, relationship issues. That's really a mouthful. Uh, So what you can do is if this is you or this is someone you know, and again, it's a lot of people, I've given them silently seduced and that's opened up their their mind to that. Um, A couple other books I've given a lot as gifts. I could talk about books all day and not get to the rest of these because really, I just love reading. James Joyce's Ulysses, I read it every year. So if you are reading this and want to join me on the next reading, just find me online somewhere and let me know. But I read, read Ulysses every year. I read it senior year of high school. It's why I'm talking to you now. It, it awakened me to the power and possibility, possibility of language. It's hypertext before hypertext was invented. I, I reread it every three years and every time I catch more and, and it's a new book. It really is a like brain-busting genius. Uh, and it's one of those things that I think you need to do once in your lifetime is just read that book. And I love... I really recommend literature over 
the kind of books Tim and I write, which are, which are nonfiction, because I feel like literature is not trying to push or advance an agenda or tell you what's right or, or wrong. Sometimes it is. But I think the bigger point is it's really looking at life as, as a metaphor and dealing with all the sides of an issue and, and helping you understand it through storytelling. The brain learns through metaphor. Uh, so, so I really am a big fan of, 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 of literature uh, over, over nonfiction. Great book. I mean, great, meaningful, uh, powerful books. And I'll tell you one other book I've given. Uh, I, th- I think it's, a, it's really great. It's by James Hollis, who's a Jungian uh, analyst. He's an amazing person and just a genius. I've never underlined a book so much. Sometimes it's slow going, but it's slow going because it's so dense with ideas. And it's a book, basically, uh, it's for men, and it's really about m- what it means to be a man, what it means to be in this culture to be a man, the psychological issues uh, of being male. A lot of that stuff we don't look at. And you know, to quote him, and this is kind of the thesis, men's lives are as much governed by role expectations as are the lives of women. And the corollary is that, is that those roles do not support, confirm, or resonate to the needs of men's souls. So it's a great book for self-discovery. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? That would 100% be, if you really want to save a lot of time and just get back a lot of time, and you're anything like me, you want the Tile Mate Key Finder on Amazon. Alex, who's recording this with me, is smiling because I got, this was my gift to everybody for the holidays. Do you use it? Yeah. He says yes. Yeah, he's on his keys. And like, just think, if you add up all the time you spent looking for your keys in a year, this thing is going to give you so much time back, it's ridiculous. And there are a lot of these different things, but I found a TileMate, which connects to an app on your phone, uh, works really well. And if you leave it somewhere else, other people with Tile can actually find your keys. It's pretty cool. Uh, so, So simple, and it really helps. The second thing I'd say is the program Freedom. I always talk about it. Uh, I think it, I have a Mac, I know it's for Mac, but it's freedom and basically it'll take your computer completely off the internet for a certain amount of time. So if you want to do some creative work and not be distracted by emails and uh, you know the, the clickbait uh, rabbit hole, uh, you just put on freedom and you're off the computer for half an hour, an hour, three hours. Uh, I really think as far as like productivity, it's like five times my productivity. How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have any favorite failure of yours? And it's funny, like it's such a theme, right? Like, like those failures might hurt at the time, but I think anyone who's got anywhere say those failures are the best thing that ever happened to them. I mean, for me, and it's kind of embarrassing because I ended up writing at the New York Times for 10 years, is I was actually rejected from journalism school, right? What's the lesson there is like, if you're rejected from something, it doesn't mean it's not right for you. It just means it wasn't right for the person who made that decision. And especially if you're doing something new or different uh, and you're trying to go somewhere that's very status quo, they're not going to get you or accept you. So it's a powerful thing and not a lot of people have this inner confidence to know this is my passion and I don't need someone to give me a green light to live in my passion. So, so, uh, So I got rejected from journalism school and I think if I got accepted, I would have followed the regular route and like been covering like city hall meetings and like, you know, Weehawken, New Jersey or something. And no offense to anyone living in Weehawken. Uh, yeah. So not getting into journalism school was the only reason I became a journalist and wrote for the New York Times. Uh, and often, right, 
there, there's other paths to get to where you want, and sometimes you have to trust that the path you're on is the right path. In fact, you have to trust it because there's no other path but the one you're on. And the bigger idea is this. Uh, the outcome is not the outcome. And what I mean by this is there's a, there's a famous, I want to say it's a Zen parable. And, it's, uh, and I'm going to totally misquote it and get it wrong. But there's a farmer and uh, his horse breaks, breaks uh, uh, his horse, I don't know, his horse runs away, let's say. His horse runs away and they say, that's too bad. I'm sorry, your horse ran away. It's really going to mess up your farm. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's all right. You know, what, you know I, we don't know yet if it's for the good or for the bad. And then maybe his horse, I think his horse came back with like four other horses. And again, I'm totally massacring this parable, but the, you'll get the point. His horse came back with four other horses. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. Now you have four horses. How lucky are you? He's like, well, I don't know. We'll see. Then one day his son is riding the horse. Uh, one of the new horses, the horse bucks him. The son is thrown and he breaks his, he like, you know, really badly shatters and breaks his leg. They said, oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry your son broke your leg, broke his leg. That's horrible for you and him. And now he, you know, can't work on the farm and all these bad things. And the farmer says, I don't know. You know, we'll see. I don't know if it's bad or good. Then there's suddenly a war and they go to kind of draft people into the war. And uh, it turns out the son can't go off to fight because he's broken his leg and his life is saved because he's broke his leg. They said, oh my God, thank God that horse threw your son. Now he, his life was saved. And the farmer says, I don't know. We'll see. And the point is, you don't know if something's good or bad because, you know, there's only one ending, right? And even that ending, the universe goes on, your family and your loved ones, they go on too. So the outcome is not the outcome. The end is not the end. We measure these things by these endpoints. They're not the real endpoints. So the truth is, you don't know. You'll see. Keep moving forward. You don't know. The outcome is not the outcome. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? My answer to this is someone on Twitter once said, what's your life philosophy? And I just thought about it for two seconds. And I said, learn more, no less. Learn more, no less. And it's funny, I think Tim posted that on his Instagram and some people got it, some people didn't get it. And the really point is, is A, anybody who's wise, anybody who's learned uh, a lot over their life, anyone who's kind of grown out of the adolescent phase of I know everything, and that is the adolescent phase is I'm better than everyone and I know everything and I'm always right, starts to realize the more you learn, the more you realize what you don't know. And the more you learn, the more you see that a lot of these things that we take as truths and facts, very few of them are real. So I would love to keep learning and I'd love to keep unknowing. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? I would just say that for me, it was time. Time is obviously the most valuable resource we have. Side note, and this is something that's often talked about here, is just people are so careful with their money, even with getting ripped off for a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, yet they're so uh, um, generous with their time. In fact, I shouldn't even be doing this right now. <laughs> I've got things to do. Uh, a little exercise that I learned from a, a marketer named Dan Kennedy is uh, there's kind of a formula you can do, which is figure out what you make in a year, uh, um, divide it by the amount of work hours in a year, and then divide that by three because the average person only spends one-third of each work hour working, and that's what your time is worth. So next time you uh, feel like an obligation to go to lunch with someone, you know, add that up and see if you really want to be giving that person however many dollars that is. So the point is, the best investment I made was actually an investment of time, which was I was an unpaid intern at the Village Voice, 
And I think like the secret, and, and again, Robert Greene says this in his book, Mastery, it's something that's often said, but like being willing to work, and this goes against everything in the culture right now in a lot of ways, but really being willing to work for free and to be totally exploited uh, <laughs> as, as a resource um, just to be the, uh, around people who are writing, around people who are creative, inside a sort of busy uh, newspaper newsroom that was full of you know culture and life and to be around artists and critics and writers I really admired that like changed my life if I was not an unpaid intern at the Village Voice and got rejected from journalism school again I wouldn't be writing and talking to you I literally spent a year just opening mail and doing people's expense reports waiting for the chance just to write like once but the crazy thing is once I wrote once no one knew I was an intern they just thought I was a writer for the Village Voice and that got me really uh, you know, really far. I think I stayed there for, for years. I, I think they, it was really hard for them to get rid of me. <laughs> so, uh, so that, that, that actually was my, my journalism school. And I only learned to write by having great editors there. So I would say like being willing to listen to someone who is uh, more proficient at you than something, telling you what you're doing wrong and internalizing that and not taking it personally is, is huge. Are they always right? No, but they might know more than you, so it's worth seriously considering. Um, I've seen amazing people who are just starting something new, who let their ego get in the way of a good lesson or opportunity. I've sat there why maybe the greatest surfer in the world is giving an amateur surfer advice. And the amateur surfer is so worried that they'll be judged by the famous guy that they're trying to pretend like they know what they're talking about and what they know about surfing instead of just shutting up listening and trying it. Um, and here's, what I, here's another thing about everybody who's great. <laughs> I could go off on these questions forever. But another thing about everybody who's great is even if they don't agree with it, they're willing to try it if it won't hurt them or someone else. So again, if you talk about surfing, adjust your stance. For me with writing, I remember my editor saying, brush off the academic dust. I would like to quote French postmodernism to like, show people I was smart or something. I don't know what I was thinking. But try it first. Seriously try it and see if it works before you discard it. The big idea that's going to change your life or going to change your creativity is the one you disagree with. If you have the resistance to it and you try it anyway, that's where the big breakthrough is. The ones you agree with, you're already doing or believe in, so there won't be a big breakthrough there. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I would say, and it's really interesting, I, I, uh, I, move, I live, in, uh, live in LA. I used to live in West Hollywood in the center of the city and that's where all the action is. That's where the meetings are. That's where things happen. But a friend of mine, who's also in Tim's book, uh, Rick Rubin, who will hopefully do the one of these as well, moved out to Malibu. And I noticed his, just his lifestyle changed. He uh, lost a, I want a ton of weight. I want to say it's 140 pounds or something like that. Uh, he started eating really, really healthy, started working out. It was amazing to see that shift happen. Uh, so I moved out here as well. And, uh, and through Rick, met a community of people who I work out with. Um, and, and literally, uh, every morning, 8 a.m., I show up to see my friends. We exercise outdoors or at the beach or in a pool or, or uh, on someone's lawn. And we end it with a sauna ice session, and we talk there about life, what's going on in our relationships, uh, and, uh, and dealing with the issues of the day. And literally, it's the highlight of my day. But here's the crazy thing about it. I'm not trying to hit a weight goal. I'm not trying to hit a muscle goal. 
I'm just actually going to spend time with a community of people I enjoy. And it's the first, it's the healthiest I've ever been in my life. And it made me realize that the secret to change and growth is not willpower or goal setting, but positive community. Uh, and, and again, I think that's something Tim talks about a lot. You know, you're the, the five people you hang out with most. So really, if you want to make a change in your life, there are two ways to do it. A, put yourself around a community of people who embody that, what you want to become. Two is, if there's something negative that you really can't control, make it impossible for yourself. So when willpower fails you, uh, it means that uh, changing your behavior is not enough. There's a belief there. So you can change the belief, which takes time, or you can literally make it impossible to do. In fact, uh, Alex, who's sitting here with me recording this, I want to start waking up at 5.30 a.m., and working through the day instead of going to bed at 2 a.m. and waking up whenever I woke up. And so I would have Alex come here at 5.30 a.m. He's laughing because it was definitely a difficult part of his life. (laughs) When he's answering these questions, that'll be uh, one of his investments. So he'd make sure I was out of bed, come here, grab my phone, put freedom on my computer, and make sure I was working. And we just did that for a couple months until the habit snapped and that I started to do it. So when willpower fails you, Either A, uh, make the opposite impossible while you work on changing your beliefs or changing that habit. In the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? I will say, like, and again, Tim and I talk about this all the time, uh, but it's, there's so much coming at you. There's so much to do. There's a book I recommend called Essentialism. You don't even have to read the whole thing. Just get the idea of it, which is, uh, man, I've that I have this saying, which is you, you become successful by saying yes to everything. You stay there by saying no. And it's so easy. I mean, it's a dream come true as you start to get successful. All of a sudden, all the things you wanted to do are offered you on a silver platter. Everybody wants you to do everything. Um, and you feel like this is an opportunity, and I got here by taking opportunities. I should take all these opportunities. What happens is you spread out, you lose your momentum, and then you're forgotten about. I really love studying people who come to uh, fame uh, and then are unable to hold on to it versus the ones who are able to hold on to it. The ones who are able to hold on to it, A, are in their passion and they're not letting letting themselves get get distracted all the time. Uh, But B, what they also do is, um, what's the best? Oh yeah, they don't look at what they did before to find out why it worked. A great way to stagnate is to figure out what worked in the past because guess what? You're not in the past anymore. The past is the past. So always rethinking what you're doing from the point of view of what would I do if I just started doing it today? I mean, that's, again, if you look at Netflix, that's why does Net, why has Netflix survived? They were just a company that sent DVDs to people, right? They said, we got to just make sure people keep watching DVDs. They'd be dead. Then they were a company. And then they're like, oh, it's just on demand. People can watch these programs now on demand. And then they said, oh, no, we're going to make our own original content. So they keep pivoting, thinking, well, what would I do if I started the company right now? I don't know if that's what they think, but it's a good example compared to Redbox, which is, I think, is gone, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, here's what helps. What helps? Here's what helps. Here's a little rule. Uh, before, first of all, no one needs an answer right away. If you're not sure, take time and say, I'll get back to you tomorrow. And then ask yourself, am I saying yes out of guilt or fear? If it's out of guilt or fear, then you can give them a polite no. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do? Here's what's crazy. Anything that gets you out of your mind and into your body 
is ultimately good for your mind. So the things I do, you know, I think of my, I think of my mind as a computer and sometimes like the memory gets full, right? The RAM gets full. So I just think, okay, how can I turn off the computer and then turn it back on? And that may be doing the sauna and the ice bath. The great thing about the, about, uh, about the ice bath is that you might think you have anxiety and things going on, but you're, when you step in that ice bath, your body really goes into shock and all the petty worries you have go away and you just try to survive and you come out fresh and refreshed. Uh, a 20 minute nap is good. A little bit of meditation is good. I, I happen to learn TM. So, so just saying my mantra for five, 10 minutes uh, and, and meditating helps. But I really find like, if I could say it in two words, it's stepping away. It used to happen that I would want to solve a problem right there or deal with an issue right there. And literally, even if I'm in a whole, in a meeting or a staff meeting or a group meeting or, or like when I used to be on a date, uh, I would literally, if I felt uh, overwhelmed, I would just step away, breathe. Breathing is also good. Recenter, come back. It's amazing how quickly, how quickly you can actually recenter and come back. The other thing is, I have this saying, which is, Everything gets done except when it doesn't. And that's my saying because it, it all gets done and it's all fine. And when it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Man, and there's so many. I live my life finding unusual and absurd things. In fact, uh, I have this rule that I only go to two kinds of restaurants. One is one of the best, one of my favorite restaurants in the world. I go to only go to places either my favorite or new. I'll never repeat anything mediocre. So uh, current things I love. Uh, I love the HTC Vive. The, that's the best to me of the, of the current VR platforms. There's a game called Richie's Plank Experience uh, with an actual, it's a, you just walk on a plank above two buildings in VR, but you can actually set up a plank on your floor uh, on a couple books. It's only a couple inches off the floor, but the terror that people experience when they're in VR and they just step up on this little plank. I also have a fan that'll blow some wind in their face to make it really realistic. And people's knees will buckle, they'll fall off. Alex has experienced it, that's why he's laughing in the background. Um, but it is, what's amazing is you realize, and it's a good argument for simulation theory, that, that you, know, you know you're not, you know this is fake. But how easy it is, is it with just some different visuals and different sounds to really feel in your whole system like it's real. By the way, this is why politicians can pull and, uh, and, and, and kind of uh, negative, let's say, social uh, trends and movements can pull the wool over our eyes and hoodwink an entire society into doing something that's against their best interests. Uh, other things I love. Picklebacks. Shot of pickle juice followed by a sorry, uh, shot of whiskey with a pickle juice chaser. Trust me, it doesn't matter if you don't like whiskey or not. It uh, cancels, cancels the whole thing out. Uh, I like saying age inappropriate words like lit as much as I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I like pretending like I know what someone's talking about when I really don't. That's a good one. I've stopped doing that actually. I just thought it was funny in Tim's book. Uh, what else am I into? I'm into there's a rose candy, a Japanese rose candy that tastes just like it's a kind of chewy rose candy. It tastes like flowers. I love it. Kalbi honey butter chips, which were like this crazy trend in Korea where they'd lined up like around the block to get these. They have to get free from Colby. Colby honey butter chips are insane. I love, obviously, Rick and Morty. I just read about them for Rolling Stone. Uh, I love doing escape rooms. If you want to get together with a friend or a team and do an escape room, if you haven't yet, which is a room you're locked in the room for about an hour, um, and, uh, and there are puzzles to get out, you really see who someone is and what they're made of, and it's a great 
people's true personality comes out about how they responded at team. It's a great thing to do for work too. They actually do escape rooms where they'll assess how you all work together. Um, another thing I love is a game my wife and I made up, which is really fun, uh, where we'll play, we'll put the eye, we'll put the music on our phone on shuffle. And then whatever comes on, we'll pretend like it's a movie, like it's a soundtrack to a movie, and we'll describe, we'll take turns describing the movie scene that it's portraying. So, uh, so if it's, inter- you know, so say it's a ballad, it'll, it will, we'll just say, we'll, you know, it doesn't fucking matter. You get it. Just get in the car with us sometime. We'll show you how it's, how it's, how it works. Uh, but I think that overall idea of like, uh, gamifying your life is great. And I guess I'll end with this thought, which is I have a two and a half year old son and I've learned He's, he's my greatest teacher. We t- talked earlier about unlearning and unknowing, and he's, he's already in that stage. My goal as a parent is, is, is just not to take away what he already knows. I even thought when he was born um, that he just sees the world all as one thing. And once I started teaching him words, that's a ball, that's a toy, I started creating separation for him. If you think about all of spirituality is to unlearn the separation we, we, we learn as, as children. Here's one of the most important lessons I learned from him. He can be really angry, upset, crying about something, and then the next second uh, he sees something funny or is amused by something, and then he's laughing. And once he's laughing, he's all done crying. The crying is over. And what I learned was most, a lot of people get upset about something, and like they're still upset about it. They could be upset an hour later, and, and the thing is over. They could be upset years later. No, I'm still upset about what you did or about what happened. And I realized, like, that's the way to be. Your emotions serve a purpose at a certain time. Then they're over, and you get to move on to the next emotion. All of our trauma, all of our baggage in life comes from holding on to the stories about why we felt a certain emotion in the past. So if I can kind of close this podcast with a thought is, if you let go of your story, you get to live your life. Hey guys, Tim Ferriss again. If you enjoyed this, just a little taste of this guest, then you will love Tribe of Mentors, the book. Subtitle, Short Life Advice from the Best in the World, which details the routines, habits, and tools of more than 130 people who are the best at what they do. And you can pick and choose. It is a choose-your-own-adventure buffet, but you have just about everyone imaginable. And you can find free chapters, the full list, of mentors at tribeofmentors.com and wherever books are sold. So take a look, tribeofmentors.com.